says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to be in God's house this morning together. Amen. Just a few uh, announcements this morning, and then we'll get started here in God's holy word. In the back, there's a sign-up sheet for the Easter festival for the silent auction. Um, If you'll write down what you plan to bring, hope to bring, uh, that'll give Miss Jerry an idea of what's coming. Also, you can enter in for the uh, barbecue cook-off and the dessert contest. Miss Marilyn, if you make those um, yum-yum bars, you win automatically. So, uh, contest is over. That's for real. I'm not joking. I'm the pastor. I'll throw that trump card on those yum-yum bars. Uh, Also, this week we start uh, the Annie Armstrong offering in the back. You'll see uh, prayer uh, prayer cards uh, for for you to pray through for the week. And then on Sunday, we'll come back for the Annie Armstrong offering. um, And we'll take that up next week. So uh, find that information in the back. And then this coming Saturday at 4.30 to 8.00. We'll have a family game night down in the uh, fellowship hall. That's a time for us just to come together. We'll have board games, card games, uh, time to have fun together. And if you'll bring finger foods for uh, dinner or desserts, please. Uh, The last announcement is this. uh, This afternoon at 5 o'clock, we will be interviewing one of the candidates for the youth pastor position. So be praying for us. Be praying for that young man as we interview him to see again as we've been praying for months that this is who God would have for us. This is a big deal for us in the life of this church. So pray for the committee, pray for uh, that young man this afternoon as we meet with him. Let me go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll jump into God's holy word together this morning. God, I pray through the Holy Spirit you would still our hearts and our minds. That God, whatever we came in with this morning, any uh, distractions, anxieties, lost hopes, that even now, God, through the Holy Spirit, you would still us to receive from you. Let there and allow there to be no distraction to take us away from your word. Your word is active and it's living and it brings life to us. So I pray that would happen for each of us this morning. I pray that none of us would come and leave the same, but we'd be transformed uh, by the renewing our minds and the seed that is planted by your word, that we grow uh, and take root in our lives and we become more like your son Jesus. And now God, we come again to you as we've been coming and pleading with you on behalf of this church, on behalf of the the students here, the youth here, that you would, uh, even this afternoon as we meet with this young, young man, that you would Uh, Just pour out your wisdom on the search committee. Pour out your wisdom on that young man. I pray, God, that uh, it would be clear on what your 
uh, decision and your will and what you would have for us as a church. So continue to lead us, guide us, and as Rob prayed earlier, that you would continue to bless us. We don't deserve it, uh, we're not owed it, but you freely give it to us, and I pray that we would uh, go back to you and say thank you for all that you do for us and have done for us. So lead us now as we come into your holy word, open our minds, our ears, and our eyes to receive from you. I pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus, amen. We will get eventually to the book of James, so find that in your Bible. Uh, we'll come to that portion. We'll be in some other places before that this morning, though. Just as a recap, where we've been over the last several weeks is this idea of a recovering redemption, the idea that God has created us in a certain way. Remember that he designed us in his image, and we, because of a fallen, broken world, have distorted that image. And yet God, through his goodness, through the redeeming work of Christ, is pushing us back to our image, not our image that we want to create, but the image that he has created for us. That's to become more and more like him. Last week, we looked at this idea of salvation and how salvation has three parts. The justification, where we as sinners, that Christ died for us, and in Christ dying for us, we are now justified before a holy God. And then we'll one day come to this place of our salvation, which is glorification, that we will be without the presence of sin because we as believers will be in the presence of God. And if we're in the presence of God, there is no presence of sin. We looked at last week, the majority of our life with the Lord is what we would call sanctification, the ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that we need to do a few things in our life and so often in our lives that we want to either mow over sin and not eradicate those sin to make it look pretty or we'll cover our sin. And what we said last week is we want to be fully exposed before the Lord and fully transparent and fully in a confessional place that we would live as confessional people. This week what I want to do is begin to turn the corner as we come to the end of this series. We've been talking primarily about our vertical relationship with God. That, that these last few weeks has everything to do with our relationship with God. And now over the next few weeks, we're going to turn that our relationship with God has to affect other relationships. So just as a reminder this morning, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this. We got to be reminded of this this morning. Do you believe this to be true this morning? It says this in Galatians 5, 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and not be, be submitted to the yoke of slavery or sin any longer. We are free in Christ. Do we believe that? The next thing that Paul says is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you believe that if you are a believer this morning, you are free from sin, and you're also a new creation. You have been born again, as Jesus would say, and Paul would say. Lastly, I want to look at this long chapter, or this long section in chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 10. And I want to point out 10 things in this passage, 10 things that are going to set us up for what does our relationship look like with other people. But it starts with our relationship with God, Ephesians 2. 
uh, verses 1 through 10. To what Paul says to the church in Ephesians. I want you to get your pen and pencil out because we're going to highlight uh, 10 or 11 things in this passage. But this is what Paul says. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What he's saying is, you used to follow Satan, but you no longer follow Satan. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus where I grace you have been saved through faith and is not a work of your own doing but is a gift of God not as a result of works so that no man could boast for he is we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to look at 10 things in this passage. These 10 things are so important for us to see and to know and to be reminded of. Look at the way that Paul describes us. They are all past tense. No future tense. He says in the very first verse, you were what? You we're dead. So if you are in Christ, you are no longer dead. You are now alive. But how can we so often still live as if we're dead men and women? Paul says you were dead. He says this. He says you once walked, but you no longer walk that way. My question to you, my question to me, the question to the church is this. Are we still walking the way that God has called us not to? Because Paul clearly says, you once walked this way, you ought not to walk that way any longer. He says in verse 3, you once lived. Verse 3, again, he says, you were by nature children of wrath. Meaning we're no longer children of wrath. He says in verse 5, you once were dead, but you were no longer dead. He says this, he's now made you alive. He did something for you in the past. He made you something. He says in verse 5, you have what? You have been saved. Verse 6, you are raised up. Verse 6, again, you are seated in the heavenly places. In verse 10, he says you have been saved. Look at all the places that Paul uses past tense verbs. How come we as believers still live in the past? Because if we don't really believe what Christ has done for us. If we really believed in what Christ has done for us, then we would live a different way. And now look what he says. Because of all these things, because of the past, and what all that God has done for us, he then moves and says this. In verse 10, 
all the past and what God has done now sets us up for the future. He says, now because of what God has done for you, the free gift of salvation by grace and faith alone, not of your own doing, but what God has done for you, he then says this. For we are what? His workmanship. What that means is we are his prized possession. We are on the mantle of God's display to the world. Do we believe that, church? Do we believe because of what God has done for us that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Are we... And do we believe that we're created for good works? That God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now circle that word in your Bible, good works. That points us to one thing. Now I wish it wasn't always true, but God has created us to be in relationship with Him and relationship with other people. Remember what God said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. He says this, Then the Lord God said, what? It is not good that man should be alone. So God has done all this, and now we can't just live by ourselves with God, though that would be awesome, wouldn't it, Miss Rita? Like just, man, me and God, that would be awesome. But no, we're created for community. We're created to live with one another. God himself says it's not good that man should be alone. Now, if I were to ask us from raising our hands, I won't do that this morning. But how many of us have been in relationships where we've been harmed by other people? I would say 100% of us. And so what do we want to do because we've been harmed by other people? We want to be out of relationship with people. We don't want other people to continue to harm us. But God said it's not good for us to live alone. We have to live with other people. This is how the writer of Ecclesiastes says it. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 12 says this. Two are better than one. I'm sorry, Miss Rita. That's God's word says that. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward in their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Three, a three-fold three cord is not easily broken. God's created us for relationship. All of us in this room. But the Bible now talks about what happens in relationship. And we must do an examination of us, the church. We must do an examination of our own heart. How many of us, again, have been harmed in relationship? So how many of us want to live independent, truly, of relationship. I would say most of us, if not all of us. 
I, I call it the emotional Heisman. Right? You're going to keep everyone, like you're going to let people get close, but arm's length. Right? And then we deceive ourselves that we think we have these intimate relationships, but no one really knows us because we're too afraid to be known because if we're known, what? We're, more harm's going to come to us. So we keep everyone at arm's length. And then James addresses this in his little letter to the believers. He says this, and he says this to us. It's so true for the church. Because if we were to be honest, how much quarrels and fighting happen among the church? A lot. I do counseling all day, every day. That's my primary job. Whether you're a believer that comes to see me or an unbeliever that comes to see me, every single person that I've ever done any work with in the 13 years of doing this work, everyone has one common theme. They've been hurt by the church. That's sad. That's really sad. And James is going to address that. Because again, if God's created us and designed us for relationship, the fullness of life is going to come through relationships. And where's his primary vehicle for that? It's called the church. God has set apart the church for a purpose, to live together in harmony with one another, to fulfill his purposes to a lost and dying world. But if there's fighting internal, won't there be fighting external? If there's not harmony in the body, there won't be harmony with us outside of the body. We won't have each other's backs in a fallen, broken, world-filled war. And James addresses that. James is going to ask a question, and then he's going to right off the bat answer the question he asks. Thank God the Bible does that. He doesn't leave us a mystery like, what is James talking about? He says, the question is this. The question to us this morning is this. What causes fights and quarrels among you, question mark? What James is saying, that's not a hypothetical question. He's addressing the church. He's addressing believers. He says, hey, what is going on inside the church? Why is there fighting? Why is there quarreling? He uses two words. Quarrels mean this. Prolonged and serious disputes or combat. Like this ongoing fight. Church, is there an ongoing fight among us? Yes. Be honest. And then he says this. Are there fights among you? Those are specific fights and battles. So he says, are there prolonged disturbances? And there, are there things that are happening currently? He says, yes, there are. And now I'm going to tell you why that is. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not what? Is it not your passions that are at war within you? Your desire that you have. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and obtain. You fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you adulterous people james says this there's fighting and quarrels among you because of your desires 
what happens? We all have desires, correct? All of us. Desires are not bad. Do, do we realize that? It's when desires come to us and we go to obtain those desires on our own behalf because we don't trust God with the desires we have. And we don't trust that he'll give us the desires. So we have these desires that are given to us, us by God, but we don't trust that God will give us those desires. So what do we do? We go out and make sure we get those desires. How do we see this in the world? If you are a human being, you have sexual desires. That's God given to you. But what happens when you don't trust God with your sex given desire, you what? You go and make sure it happens because you don't trust that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Money, a job, you, you name your desires. Our desires are not bad things. Desires become bad things. We don't trust God with them, and we do what we have to do to make sure they happen. And that's what causes fights and quarrels among us, because now you're just a means to an end for my desires. And, it, and if you get in the way of my desires, I'm going to blitz right past you to get to my desires. That's how we harm people. That's why how we harm ourselves, because we have these God-given desires that we're not trusting God with, so we go and accomplish them or take them on our own. That's what he says in the passage. He says, you have these desires that are at war within you. You desire and you do not have to what? You murder. Jesus talks about murder in the Sermon on the Mount. Murder doesn't necessarily mean I have to take your life. Murder means I have this anger and this rage towards you. Because again, you're in my way. He says, you covet and you cannot obtain. You want what other people have. So what do you do? You try to get what they have. And you try to take from them what you do not have. And then he says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Ask who? The one that can give you your desires. He says, you ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions and desires. You wicked people. So James says, what's causing the fights? What's causing the quarrels among you? It's your passions, your desires that are within you. But then there's that one little verse in Psalms. You know the Psalms? Psalms 37, 4. We quote it all the time, right? He will what? He will give us the desires of our heart. You know that's not the full verse, correct? Most of us have heard that verse way out of context and without it being the full verse. The full verse is this. You want the desires of your heart? The psalmist says this. Do what? Delight yourself in the Lord. Which goes back to what James is saying to us. We must not have a proper understanding of who God is, and we must not be going to God delighting ourselves in the Lord. You see, if there is a problem within the body, if there's conflict within the body, if there's fights and quarreling within the body, it's exposing one thing. It's exposing your intimacy and my intimacy, our intimacy with who? God. Because the psalmist says this, and James says this, 
if your desires or your passions are you're delighting yourselves in the Lord, then what? He's going to give you the passions of your heart. And so if I'm going after these passion desires on my own and not trusting the Lord, it's going to reveal where my true allegiance is to God. And so I'd ask you this morning this. Are you and I and are we, the church, first and foremost delighting ourselves in the Lord? Or is it about us and not about Him? I can come across a lot of different ways in the church. Look at how Jesus himself says it in Matthew chapter 6. He says, we would say, he's going to give us all these things will be added unto you. He's going to give you everything you want. All these things will be added unto you. But what does Jesus say before that? Before all these things are added to you, he says what? You must what? Seek first what? The kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added unto you. How often for us, church, would it be true in our lives that we seek our kingdom and not God's kingdom? And that's what is causing quarrels and fights among us. Then he, Jesus again says this in the greatest commandment. He says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. This is the question that the lawyer asked. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you what? You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your with your soul, with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You what? You must love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two, the commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. God says this. If there's fighting and quarreling among you, there's no way that we can love God. Therefore, we cannot love one another. If God has created us for relationship with him, he therefore has also created us to live in relationship with one another. And so the question I would beg to you this morning is, how are we living in relationship with one another? Do we have love for one another? Do we want good for one another? Do we want to see God's righteousness in one another and for one another? Or do we have our own passions and our own desires that are waging war within us? What is it that God would call us to this morning to let go of? That we're fighting for? That we're holding on to? That's not bringing us unity as a body? See, we can talk all day long about our intimacy with God. We can have relationship with Him, and we can be in one with Him. We can have our Bible studies. We can have our small groups. We can have our Sunday school. We can come and hear God's Word and preach God's Word. 
But if that doesn't do something in our community, then what we're doing is just all head knowledge. It's not changing who we are. I would ask us this. Is there anything that we need to let go of so that we could love one another more deeply? Jesus said this, and this is where we're going to begin to move over the next few weeks. You see, if our intimacy with God doesn't change our intimacy with one another, then we'll what? We'll never impact the world. If there's not love in this body, then Jesus makes it super clear the world will have no idea we're his disciples. You can have all the head knowledge in the world. You can fill your brains with all of God's word. You can know all the theology you want to. But if your theology and my theology and this church's theology doesn't motivate us into loving one another, then the next cannot happen. It's what Jesus says in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. The greatest tool to evangelism is one word. The greatest tool to evangelizing a lost world is one word. He says, by this, all the people, the whole world, will know that you are my disciples. How? How will a lost world know that we're his disciples? He does not say in the passage, no more Bible. He does not say, memorize the whole Bible. He doesn't say, hey, you need to make sure you know all 66 books of the Bible in order. He doesn't say to them, hey, you need to understand all 66 books. He simply says this. He says, if you want the world to know that you belong to me, you what? It's by the way that you love one another. Now, I would ask, church, do we love one another? Do we really love each other? And if we don't love each other, go ahead and look in the mirror and say, what is going on in my relationship with God that I cannot love one of my brothers or sisters in Christ? Again, we want to know God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first and greatest commandment. But that doesn't compel us as a church to love one another, then we've forsaken what we say we love. Jesus said this himself, no greater love than this. That what? He would lay down his life. Church, would we lay down our lives for one another? I'm reminded of what Rob prayed at the beginning of the service. You know, we are living in a very, very fast-growing community. Are we not? But my question is, why are there empty pews in our building? Literally. If we're growing so fast around us, how is it that we are not growing with our community. 
the only thing I can come to conclude is this. That we don't love one another. Because he says it so clearly. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Does this community that we live in know that we love one another first and foremost? Because we love one another. It's the greatest tool to witness to a lost and dying world. May we love one another. Let me pray for us this morning.